What's up, everybody? Welcome to Movies with Wrestlers, episode 8. This is the season finale. Um, this is a special episode, actually, for a number of reasons. One being that I'm talking to an actual professional wrestler. Uh, Dave Williams is a guy that uh, Biggs introduced me to. And uh, he's wrestling over in Japan right now in Nagano. And he's actually, this was a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm just interested in, like, the professional wrestling side of it, of course, as a wrestling fan, but um, I think we had a really good talk, um, a, lot, a little bit about the movie, but I, I, like I said, I had a lot of questions for him, um, but we talked about the movie The Wrestler, um, not starring any, I guess you could say, well-known professional wrestlers, there's a lot of indie guys in it, um, and I think there's a couple, uh, it's been a while since I watched it, obviously, but... There's a couple other guys in there that are pretty good, well-known names, and we talk about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, this is—I wanted—we we chose. I let him choose the movie just because that's—that's uh, that's the way I always do it. But he chose an interesting one because this is sort of like not necessarily the same thing he's going through, but he understands the business from a different perspective than I do. So um, I'm gonna stop talking now and let you guys listen to the episode. It's sort of a long one, and I might not be completely there um just because i i had to wake up at like i think 4 45 in order to talk to him um just because of the time difference which i was happy to do but i'm a little bit groggy still probably um but anyway here it is episode eight the wrestler with dave williams yeah i um and I, i've been watching wrestling for like i don't know like almost a decade now at least right. over a decade because i started around nice. like 2005 Oh, okay, cool. That's probably about when I stopped for a while. Yeah, I had a I had a moment where I stopped too. <laughs> yeah, I watched it like really uh, religiously in the '90s, like the whole '90s, and you know, in the '80s a bit, but I was younger, and then um, kind of stopped watching in the early 2000s, and then now I just kind of watch here and there. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. So I don't. I, I missed like the whole CM Punk like that era. Oh really? Yeah, which which um, you know I, I rewatch a bit of it now, but that seems like that's probably about when you were watching a lot of it. Yeah, I uh, I was like sort of at the beginning of the whole CM Punk era, like when he got to ECW and. Oh okay. But yeah. Can you still hear me okay? Yeah, I can oh, hear you fine. Perfect. Cool. Well, I'm recording. We can uh, we can start whenever. Great. Okay. I'm, I'm good to go. Cool. So, the wrestler. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I guess first of all, I just kind of want to ask a, a, f- a little bit about what you do. Um, yeah. So you're over in Japan right now, right? Yeah. I live in Nagano City, which is a kind of a city up in the mountains. Nice. So, how, well, first of all, how do you like Japan? Well, Japan's awesome. You know, I first came to Japan uh, in 1996, so I've been back and forth for a long time, and I've lived here for about six years total. So, wow. It's a, it's a home away from home. And you're so, you're wrestling over there right now. Yeah, um, about two years ago, I um, contacted the local 
uh, pro wrestling league here. It's a comedy pro wrestling league called Shinshu Pro Wrestling. And um, asked if I could, you know, come in and train with them and, and see about joining. And they, they welcomed me in there. And so I started training. It's like a, it's not a pro, pro league. It's an amateur league. Uh-huh. But um, so everybody has a day job. And they do um, wrestling events pretty much every weekend, certainly every month, all around Nagano Prefecture, wow. which is about the size of Connecticut. And there's about two million people here, so it's it's not not the biggest part of the town, certainly not Tokyo or anything, but um, it's it's uh, we get to see quite a bit of a variety of cities and towns and stuff. It's pretty cool. That is cool. I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you're the only professional or semi-professional wrestler or wrestler that I've ever talked to, so. Oh, interesting, yeah. So, yeah, I have. something I've been interested in for a long, long time. Yeah. So. So you, start, yeah. you said you started watching uh, around the 80s? Yeah, around the 80s, like, um, kind of near the end of, of Hulkamania. Okay. Um. Just, you know, put that into perspective. So there was still, you know, uh, mystical powers and, and, and things like that going on. I mean, they still do that now a little bit. Um, but, you know, there, were, there was just a little bit more wackiness going on. Um, a lot of just uh, ridiculously stereotypical t- characters like um, Tatanka was a character back then, uh, Native yep. American character. Um, there was still still Sergeant Slaughter would come out sometimes, you know. So back in the day of the real extreme characters, uh, Dungeon of Doom. I don't know if you remember Dungeon of Doom at all. Oh yeah. But yeah, that was right before the, the kind of NWO era of WCW. Um, and then I watched it all the way through Attitude era, probably. Okay. So shortly after. WWF changed to WWE and like right when Raw and Smackdown kind of started turning into two separate things okay. that's about when I stopped watching every single week nice See, yeah. I sort of came in um, during the Attitude Era my brother was a big WCW fan Nice. so he was watching Monday Nitro almost every Monday and I remember hating it when I was a kid and then when I was like really young and then uh, when I hit middle school they moved Raw back over to USA Network which was a channel I oh, got yeah. and I decided to like check out wrestling because I had friends that were into it and I had never like I was always one of those oh you know it's fake right like one of those kids right and, and then and I started yeah. watching it and was like oh I actually like this shit <laughs> yeah you get sucked in and there's like tons of reasons to like it and uh you know, I don't think there's any right or wrong reasons, but um, everyone kind of has to justify it to themselves and then justify it to, you know, all the haters. Like, once you start realizing that some of these punches are landing an inch away from the guy's face, and, yeah. you know, he's hitting the tarp and all this stuff. Um, and, you, you know, it's, uh, I went through the same thing, you know, First, you kind of laugh at it. You're like, oh, ha, ha, that's so stupid. But then, you know, you're really, like, getting into it and killing the storylines. Um, you know, 
really feel the success of your favorite wrestlers and like just get pissed off when the people you don't like win and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Um, it turns into a real cool thing. Yeah. So, um, who was who was your like favorite growing up? Like, who was the one the one guy that that sort of inspired you? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of them, but of course, um, I always liked the, the interviews. So I liked um, Macho Man. He was really good. Yeah. Um, that guy could just talk off the top of his head. And yeah. Have funny things to say. He's and, great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can't really go wrong with him. There's, you know, a handful of guys that are just so awesome. Um, you know, in terms of, of the uh, the promos, Hogan was kind of like the king of unintentional comedy. Some of the yeah. stuff he would say, you know, it just sounds so stupid. But, you know, he would be just spitting it off and, and it wouldn't slow down a second. That he was really good. Um, and that's it. Um, you know, and then, like, how, how you're, you're doing the whole movie and Hollywood thing, I always like Jesse Ventura. Yep. He uh, did a lot of good movies, like The Running Man, and, um, and you know, he did some, some uh, ringside announcing on the wrestling stars, which is kind of his. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, me and Biggs just did one of our episodes last week, and mm-hmm. we did uh, No Holds Barred. Nice. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of, I feel like a lot of unintentional comedy in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, the line between laughing at and laughing with is just weird so extremely to begin with, but any yeah. kind of, uh, yeah, humor it's, and wrestling, and then you go on the Hollywood screen, and it's just like, it, it's yeah. a really hard to tell, but for a movie that crappy, it's probably pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was it was an experience. I uh, it's one of those movies where it's like it's like sort of a guilty pleasure because it's so bad it's good in a way. Right. Just like all of the all of the everything in it, the the facial expressions, and it's just so '80s and oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like. That it's like the USA Network. It's like watching Baywatch or Silk Stockings or something. You know, there's a you, get, you kind of know that you're not watching. You know, the the best movie you could be watching, but but there's a certain entertainment value to it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so the wrestler. This one. This one was kind of tough for me because all the, all of the episodes I've done so far, it's really easy to like when I'm making notes to like watch the wrestler themselves and and like judge them either too harshly or give them credit but yeah. most I've, I've found that most of my notes have, have come directly from the wrestlers performance and there were wrestlers in this movie but it was it was all Mickey Rourke really yeah he was, he was the big one and then the guy who uh, played his heel the, the he played the uh, I forget what his character the, uh, was called the, the Ayatollah the Ayatollah, yeah, he was actually a pretty big name on WCW in the late 90s. Yeah, he looked really Ernest, familiar. Ernest the Cat Miller, he, like, was a karate guy that came out of the cats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he was kind of like a mid-carder, mm. had a couple of big bats. Um, but, you know, in terms of, in terms of, of like, um, you know, a wrestler, like, trying to do acting, he was actually kind of good at it, I, I thought, in this one. 
you know, like he didn't seem like he was out of place. No, yeah. Given, given lines backstage and all that. Yeah, and like it seemed like because the I mean I saw a lot of indie guys, but the only one that I could identify and pick out by name was uh, Ron Killings. And which one? Which one was he? He's the uh, he's the like really fit black dude that has like the nose ring and the yeah okay our truth on wwe right now oh okay oh uh, yeah yeah but he used to be in uh tna wrestling he was like i think he was just ron the truth killings yeah and then he uh went over to wwe and now he's sitting real pretty on the mid card <laughs> yeah right that's i mean WWE is, you know, it's pretty big no matter where you are on the card. Yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely true. Especially, like, so being a, a wrestler yourself, how does how does that, like, sort of play into your aspirations? Do you, is that just sort of the ultimate goal for anybody that's wrestling? I mean, I, I don't think it is, actually. No? Um, I think that before you get into wrestling you kind of assume that is you kind of imagine there's like you know a pyramid and that's like at the very top right but um the more i've done wrestling i, I wrestled in um seattle once so i and i've and i've worked with some pros there and taken some some classes and i've um worked with some bigger names in japan um just on the indie circuit one of the guys i worked with is um uh, Akebono, he was he was oh, a wow. guest star in the main event. Um, so he was in WrestleMania one year. Yes, yeah. the first American to win uh, Yokozuna as a sumo wrestler. And um, after I, I met him and and, and um, worked with him, some people were asking me like, "Oh, isn't he totally washed up? Just like you know, Mickey Rourke and the wrestler." And, and you know, the, the 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 impression I got from him was that. A, he was like a big fan of wrestling because he was talking about, like he was bragging to us about like, hey, guess what, I got to work with Rey Mysterio Jr. And it was so awesome, you know. Here we are, you know, thinking how cool it is to work with this guy that was still like starstruck by, right. by people in the industry. And then, you know, it seems like he just kind of enjoys not being in the major spotlight, you know, but just kind of traveling and doing wrestling. Right. And then um, some indie people, you know, like I also talked to Bob Sapp. Do you know who Bob Sapp is? Uh, the he name like sounds a, familiar. I'm not totally sure, though. He's a big-name K1 fighter in Japan. Um, Bob, he goes by the Beast, and so um, he's an American guy, but he, he's, a, he's much bigger in Japan and, like, internationally. He was a NCAA football player who also went uh, pro and played two years in the NFL. Oh, wow. And if you, know, you look at his Wikipedia page, it says like, oh, he didn't make it in the NFL. And then that's like the end of it. And then maybe talks a little bit about his MMA career. But he like goes over the whole world and he's worked in like over a hundred countries and like does even kickboxing or pro wrestling there. And when he was talking about the WWE, um, I was doing some translating for him at that time. And he was saying that, you know, the people there work like some ridiculous 230 days a, a year. So some people just don't want to do that. Yeah, no. You know, I, it's a lot of, yeah. I feel like I wouldn't be able to do that. 
Right. Yeah. No, yeah. So, you, yeah. you definitely, like, look at guys like, like, I don't know, like Colt Cabana, for instance, somebody who could definitely make it to WWE and succeed, but he knows where his spot is, and and he's totally okay with it. He's happy with it. Right. And then, um... And can be more yeah. successful, perhaps, than if he were to go to WWE. Yeah, I think there are some, some ways where you could be more successful than, than doing that. Um, at the same time, I don't think there's many people who would turn down a contract. No. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, and for me, certainly, I'm I'm older, so there's, there's there's and I have children, so I'm, there's, I'm 37 right now, so there's no real way I would ever even think about taking a path to really try to work for a way of one of those major promotions. Right. Um, you know, I'm happy to do to do two or three matches in a row. Um, <coughs> let, let alone, you know, I, I, I talk to some people who are in all Japan pro wrestling and in, in Japan and they do five matches a week. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, it's still quite a lot. Yeah. You know, it's not six or seven, but it's still, it's still quite a lot and that's a lot of travel. Um, so I think it takes a certain type of person to really want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think it takes a certain age, you know, like when you start younger, I'm sure it's easier to get caught up in that. Right. Um, but I don't think, I don't think in the rest of it, I don't think it really showed the travel as much as, as it, it could have. No, they um, sort of, they sort of allude to it, but just because each of the shows that he does, it, I feel like are in like a smaller town outside right. of where he's living. Yeah, then he kind of has that trailer park. Like, right. Um, I think I think it was implied, but I don't think it was directly. You know, they didn't do like the whole airplane montage, you know, like car breaking down, see, you know, you know yeah. a match because your your flight just got canceled or whatever. Which you know are things that happen to a lot of people. Yeah. Um. But but um. I think I think that the travel and the, the frequency of matches are something that, that, you know, that either prevent people from, from working the way up or or just um, keep people from wanting to work for a major promotion. Right. But, you know, some people, they, they make their own school, like a lot of wrestlers make their money by teaching wrestling or having a school. Yeah, I have noticed that. It seems like a lot of the guys who either get, like, hurt or retire earlier always tend to, like, have their own school and and uh, yeah. have places that people can train. Yeah, and, like, every, every school that I've ever known is run by a guy or, or a woman in some cases who, you know, spend a significant period of time as a full-time pro wrestler. Right. You know, and they, they still do matches, but, but it might not be as often. That makes sense. Yeah. So are, are you pretty happy where you're at now in Japan, or, or would you would you want to wrestle in America? Yeah, that's an interesting question, because um, I finally, after about a year of doing matches out here, I did a match in my hometown, Seattle, and uh, it was really awesome. Like, out here... 
um, my character is very stereotypically American, you know. Right. I've got a singlet that's got the Statue of Liberty <laughs> on it. Um, I got a USA cape. I do the USA chant. Um, I just play it up, and it's really fun. Um, I do speak Japanese like in real life. I'm fluent in Japanese, so. Oh, that's awesome. When I interact with people after shows and stuff, I you know I can great characters speak Japanese a bit. Um, and depending on the humor we're doing on that day, I'll, I will, you know, purposely know or not know Japanese right. in the match. Yeah. Um, and so, but the humor is very limited. Like, people will throw out some nasty Japanese food to, like, add some spice to a submission hold or something. Yeah. Um, you know, which is, it's great. It's really good. And it's really fun. Um, it's also a little bit limiting. Like, when I went to Seattle and I could actually, you know, talk some shit in English and, um, you know, interact a little bit more with, with like a, you know, more extremely conscious wit. It was really cool. So, right. um, so I do, I do kind of wish I could go do more matches for the English speaking environment, but there's still plenty to do in Japan. Like I'm going to Tokyo on Friday oh, to wow. take part in, um, a French underground wrestling match. And so this is a style of wrestling that Instead of ropes, they have chains, oh. and it's in a smaller, smaller mat, a uh, smaller ring. Okay. So it's not like hardcore. I'm not going to be getting stapled down or anything like that. But, yeah. Uh, you know, but it's it's um, it's a different style. So so that's really exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm super excited to see how that's going to go, and that that's going to feature people from like India, Thailand. Australia, USA, Japan, France. There's going to be wow. a whole bunch of people getting together for this thing. It's going to be super awesome. That is cool. And then, yeah, and then the week after that, our uh, comedy wrestling league has a big 10-year anniversary, and, and we're going to win out the uh, the old Olympic hockey arena. We try to get a few thousand people in there. So there's some pretty cool things going on. That is cool. Did you did you say comedy wrestling league? Yeah, it's a comedy wrestling league, so um, how, how would I describe that? Like, I feel like what? I sort of know. Um, right. I feel like, because I've seen some matches, like Colt Cabana is a big comedy and wrestling right. guy. And I've seen so, him you know, and... You know, Chikara, Chikara Pro, I guess they call it. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of comedy wrestling. Yeah, and like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, totally. And like I've heard of um, uh, Grado, and uh, what's the other guy? Because I, because Colt Cabana has that that uh, he's like makes those Wrestling Road Diaries movies. Um, okay, I haven't seen that. I haven't but... seen those. Yeah, it's basically he just takes a camera and goes on a, a wrestling tour. And the last one he did was sort of all about the mix um, between comedy. In, and and pro wrestling and, and how to do that and it's really right. it's really interesting because he has like a couple other guys that are mainly known for like comedy wrestling matches and yeah I, I would, it, it's called Wrestling Road Diaries 3 I would check it out if, if you're yeah that sounds awesome I'm, I'm searching that right now yeah it's so great um, yeah I think I think any any good pro wrestling will have some element of comedy in it right you know um, so, and there's always that, like, um, 
there's always that line between um, are you are you using the comedy to excuse like having a crappy match or or is it is it a good match with just some funny parts in it you know so right I feel um, like it'd be all about the pacing and the timing of everything exactly exactly and so you know we do we do some things where, where they'll be like okay this is our designated low quality match we'll just try to make it as stupid as we can or you know and then sometimes we'll, like uh, at this event in November we're having the great Mutak come as a guest star oh, and wow. um, he's a pretty big name yeah. um, but, so so that one like our leader is going to be in that match and it's probably not going to be a comedy match but you know the the cards, the, the matches leading up to it are going to be more or less comedy. So, um, so it's still pretty much just pro wrestling. But um, we're not trying to pretend to be MMA or something like that. Right. It's, it's very character heavy and, and scenario heavy. Yeah. Which I feel like is closer to to like at least the era that that we're close to with um, exactly like. Like like you said in the '80s, there was a lot of a lot of character stuff and a lot of gimmicks gimmicky stuff. Yeah, that's good fun. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Um. I suppose we should probably talk about the movie a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the movie. I had a feeling this is how this would go because I've got just a ton of questions. Because I think it's sure. really interesting that you're over there and and doing it. That's I think that's awesome. Thanks. Um. So yeah. The movie. Um, I yeah. thought at the beginning, the uh, even in the credit scene, I thought they did a really good job with the uh, production design of because the entire yeah. like credit sequences is just like scrolling over all these old vintage wrestling magazines. With the Quiet Riot playing in the background. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, like from the start, it just sets the tone. Yeah, you exactly. Know, this is like gonna be eighties in your face. Uh, like it, it, it almost starts out nostalgic in that way, uh-huh. and so you don't know if it's going to go like the pure nostalgia or what. Yeah, uh, all the posters are really awesome. Huh? Yeah, I think that they did like a great job. Whoever was in charge of production design for that really like grew up with those magazines. I feel like. Right. Yeah, they had to admire him to be able to like replicate him that nicely. Yeah, um, but yeah, right from the bat, starts out pretty authentic. Um, one thing I noticed, and it's something that I've heard, like, just throughout all of my research on pro wrestling and everything, because mm-hmm. I always read, like, a lot of behind-the-scenes sort of stuff, um, and it seems like the locker room is a big thing in pro wrestling in general. Like, there's a lot of respect and like, it seems like a sort of code that you have to follow in the locker room. Is it is it like that over in Japan too? Is it all just sort of yeah. built on like respect and? It it it, it is. Um, so, like at the, at the bigger events I've done, there's there's like levels of locker rooms. So like right. the big stars are going to have their own locker room, and then you know, the like I've I've done matches where I'm just like in the hallway, you know. So. Yeah. Um, like literally just like in the hallway just warming up and, and changing my clothes and stuff you know not not like in the hallway where people are coming to do the, the hall or anything but you know yeah. like backstage and everything 
Like, we have this area set aside for you to change. Yeah, and you know, you, you hear about this in any sport, like the bigger stars get two lockers. And, yeah. And, you know, the major pro sports. And so um, there's a bit of that. Um, of course, I, I don't know about, you know, something as big as, like, the WWE or anything. But, right. um, like, in, in, our, in our locker room, we'll have sections that are, you know, set aside for the, uh, the bigger talent. And, and they'll have kind of, you know, more access to phone chargers, you know, some places don't even have, like, uh, electric sockets, you know, they have very limited electric sockets, stuff like that. Um, and then, I don't know, people, people just, uh, there's a lot of bowing and a lot of formal talk. Yeah. Japan, to begin with, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, one time I asked a, a guy, like, how long have you been wrestling? And she's like, whoa, whoa, Dave, <laughs> don't, don't disrespect this guy or something. Yeah, right. You know, just some, like, totally normal question that you would ask somebody in, in, in you know, Western culture. Or, you know, so there's, there's, there's tons of that. Yeah, um, it, it definitely seems like there's a, a certain etiquette that you have to follow when, when like, talking to the, the like, the vets, I guess you would say, the, the guys that have been doing it for years and years, or the bigger names. Yeah, so in, in Japan, they have, like, the Senpai Kohai thing. I don't know if you ever watched the Highlander, the uh -huh. Connery movies. Yeah. But he was talking about that in those movies where, like, um, the Senpai is the, the older person and the Kohai is the younger person. Like, So in Japan, um, that's, if you're even, like, one year or one month older than the person, you're, you're like, an editor or an upperclassman. Oh, wow. So, um, and this is just, you know, stuff that people don't necessarily question or think about too much. So there's tons of levels of hierarchy. And then, um, you know, in, in wrestling, like, on one hand, you know, it's like a brotherhood and, and you, you can't talk to almost anybody. Um, and then on the other hand, there's still some, like, uh, some hierarchy and some questions you don't ask or you know you don't get to you don't know, just talk somebody's ear off or whatever yeah but then when I went to the US um, and I did some practices and then I, I finally did the match and I was in the locker room there it was a lot like the rest tour what, really? there was people just uh, you know getting dressed in all their different costumes and talking about their matches and what moves they're going to do and you know there's all the uh, jargon and the wrestling lingo and stuff. Uh, it was really sweet. It was it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I mean, I I can only imagine. I've never been to uh, any pro wrestling event. There's been a couple that have come through Montana. That's where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And oh, nice. uh, like, there's one that came to Great Falls, I think, and it had like, I think Mick Foley was there and Billy Gunn and. Uh, couple other guys, Chris Masters, that uh, were all, like, big names at one point, but right. were just, like, touring and doing this small little um, show for, like, these smaller towns, and I was in Georgia when that happened, so I missed that uh, one, but... Um, you should totally go, any chance you get. Oh, like, yeah. Um, I, I almost went to a WWE event in, uh, in Boise. Because that was like the closest yeah. they had come to us. Um, 
and I came to Billings one time, but it's just hard when you when you're in Montana to to see anything really because there's a lot of bands and a lot of like shows that just don't come through here just because it's out of the way and it's such a big state that you have to drive for so long to get right. anywhere. It's actually a lot like uh, how Nagano is because it's like a real landlocked area and no big shows or anything come through. Right. Which is kind of cool that they set up this whole wrestling promotion to bring in a few of the bigger names. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, any chance to get though, yeah, seeing it live is interesting. The first time I saw WWF live was a non-televised show. Right. So, um, there was no promos or, like, mic talk or anything. Yeah. And oh, then, that's probably... uh, the second time I saw it was, like, a Thursday... Was it a Thursday Nitro or... Or, I think uh, it was Thunder? A, it a WC, WCW Thursday Nitro back in the day. Yeah. And that one, you know, I had the whole Jumbotron and everything, and that was really cool, too. So, you know, I guess when I was younger and saw the one without the Jumbotron, I was a little bit disappointed, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, to tell you the truth, but, um... Well, I mean, understandably, you're expecting to see what you saw on the TV. Yeah, yeah but, um, it's all good. It's all fun to watch, you know? Yeah, you I know, feel I like... Enjoy watching any kind of match. Yeah, I feel like once I'm there and, like, in the crowd and in, like, just the energy of the whole thing would probably... I'd be very happy. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, the best kind of drama there is, too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of why I'm bummed sometimes that I don't live, like, in more, like, the central U.S., because it seems like that's where, like, indie wrestling, at least, is, is pretty popular, and there seem to be a lot of little promotions out yeah. in yeah, that the area. the Midwest, the South, even New England, I think, has a better scene than the West or the Northwest. Yeah, well, I mean, the West is just so spread out that I feel like it's, right. it's hard for them to get anything started, just because in the central... U.S. or over in the east, it's the cities are like two hours apart, and it's much yeah, easier to travel and like tour. trains and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so Randy the Ram. <laughs> what What did you think about that name, the Ram? I thought it was a little bit of a placeholder. Yeah, I I did too. I I thought it was strange just because I feel like. I'm not I I don't I can't remember who wrote this movie but I feel like the character of Randy the Ram mm-hmm. is like somewhat loosely based on like a lot of, well I mean it's a general sort of character a lot of those those old school guys that are like were huge at one point and now they're doing smaller indie shows just to keep paying the bills or right. just because it's all they've done their entire life and it really reminded me of um Jake the Snake. Yeah, I've heard that from a few people, and also with like the addiction and the uh, kind of lack of self-control. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Have you have you seen that documentary they made about Jake the Snake? The Beyond the Mat. No, not the first. The, they made another one, um, the Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Oh no, I haven't. I haven't actually even heard of that one. It's it's. Oh man, it's on Netflix. Um, Okay, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's basically... Have you heard about, like, the the thing that Diamond Dallas Page is doing, his yoga program? And oh, yeah, the DDP, DDP yoga. yoga. <laughs> cool. Um, so, basically, he just takes Jake in and, like, tries to fix him. <laughs> tries. Yeah, well, I mean, 
there are ups and downs, and that's why I really like that movie. I think that's like one of the best documentaries that's been made about a wrestler. Uh, I mean, Beyond the Mat's cool. really good too. <laughs> yeah, Beyond the Mat. I saw it back in the day, so I don't really remember it that well, but it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. I really just love getting like the behind the scenes of all of all of it. Yeah, I loved how they would bring in the new guys to have audition, and then they would just be like, "Yeah, okay, I'm still in that mood." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, he um, he basically like takes Jake the snake and like moves him into his house, and then gets him back in shape. Like, it's it's great. It's a really like it, it's a, an emotional like up and down type of thing. Yeah. But uh, it's really good because he like eventually takes on like Scott Hall too. He's just fixing oh, yeah. all these older wrestlers with problems. Yeah, because Scott Paul, I guess he killed a person when he was a bouncer. Holy and shit, that, that, Yeah, that kind of tormented him. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, I guess it was a, um, from what I understand, you know, I'm not an expert on Scott Hall, but that it was, you know, a justified killing or something where he just, like, actually shot a person when he was a bouncer or something like that. Holy hell. And that kind of led to the the whole uh, abuse and, and uh, you know, obviously, like, mental issues. Wow. So, that is wild. I never knew about that. Yeah, you might want to look into it. Yeah, I, I definitely it's a pretty, pretty crazy story, if I remember correctly. But, um, yeah, they both seem to be doing okay now, because I know Jake the Snake was in Seattle last year teaching, like, a seminar to some of the local wrestlers over there. Wow. I mean, that's good. It's good to hear that he's still sort of, like, doing it and keeping himself on the straight and narrow, because, like, you'll see when you watch that movie, it's a lot of up, it's like a lot of back and forth with him, just because I feel like his issues are so deep-rooted that it's, I mean, even if you drink and, if you abuse, if you, like, abuse substances for that long, I feel like, and you have that addiction in you, it's, it's insanely hard to, to try to kick it. Yeah. But yeah, it's I, gotta be. Yeah. And then if you're a professional wrestler, it seems like you're not really giving yourself too many um, post-retirement career options. Yeah, right. So, like, you're kind of limiting yourself to this, like, brief uh, sprint for glory. And um, if you haven't you know, been taking care of your money and stuff, you end up injured or something like, you know, what happens in, in the movie or in real life. Right. Um, it could be pretty bad, it seems like. Yeah. So, right. yeah, that's that's kind of what uh, Randy the Ram reminded me of. Um, like, yeah, like, I mean, I wasn't, like, super sold on, on the name. I feel like a lot of it yeah. was, like, we want to do these wrestling characters, and this is the way it was back then, and but yeah, I don't know. It makes sense, I suppose, with his like finisher where he like puts his hands up and does like the the diving headbutt. Yeah, the ram jam. The ram it jam. Yeah. Sense. So it was, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty uh, complete character. Yeah, and, definitely. And I think they like and, really nailed the uh, the off-screen part of it. Like, just like I think Mickey Rourke did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah, like physically and, and just uh, as an actor, um, he was just very believable. And um, 
played the part. Just, he added he added a lot to that part that might not have necessarily been written into the character, you know. Right. Like, like uh, he brought to life. Yeah, and I'm like not even a huge Mickey Rourke fan, really. And I was really all. impressed with yeah. him in this movie. Yeah, so, so basically, like, for years, people were asking me if I had seen that, and then as I had started uh, wrestling, they were like, oh, I hope you don't end up like Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler and all this stuff, you know, so for me, like, I, I was kind of setting myself up to not like the movie. Yeah. But then I watched it, and it just blew me away how good it was. Yeah. Well, um, and it, it was... Like it was said, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. I was, I was going to say, it, it was weird for me watching it, too, because I, um, the guy who uh, directed this one, Darren Aronofsky, he's made a lot of movies that I really like. Um, yeah. And I, this was one of the ones of his that I had never seen, and I, I always wanted to, like, as, when it came out, I was watching wrestling when it came out, and I was like, oh, shit, this is, there's a movie. Any, right. anytime there was, like, a crossover between, because like, I loved movies and I loved wrestlers, Yep. And uh, anytime there was a crossover, I was I was stoked. Like I remember when Stone Cold Steve Austin started acting, and and like they they started like the WWE studios where they started making movies where oh, yeah, wrestlers started like it. And I was like yeah, way on board. <laughs> yeah, all the Randy Orton and John Cena movies you can yeah. watch. Yeah, and that's why I'm like that's kind of why I started this podcast just because I. I still want to watch those movies, but I feel like I need an excuse. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you need, you need to get something to keep you motivated, too, you know, to get through to the end of some of those. Also. Right, yeah, because some of them, I don't know, you said you were listening to the Maximum Conviction episode before? Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that that is a tough one to get through. <laughs> so, yeah, I like getting a collection of DVDs, like you can buy four DVDs for five bucks or whatever you know so yeah maximum action and you get like one c movie from van damme and then like a b movie from seagal <laughs> and like a, a b movie from some other dude and like a movie with the wrestler on it or something yeah. like that so i'm totally with the whole premise of this uh, podcast sweet good um so yeah uh i don't know this and and getting back to Mickey Rourke and his performance, I feel like even the uh, he had the mannerisms down. Like, cause you watch like a lot of these old school guys, like that have been wrestling for years and years, and you can just tell that their bodies are just completely fucked because they just like move in a certain way. And like, yeah. I feel like he had the finger thing down really well in this movie. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he could barely move his fingers almost, but. It's like it's like almost like his hands are like not even a part of his body, and just because it, it, there's just deterioration there. And, and it's like inside and out because also there's you know obvious steroid abuse in that movie, but right, also yep. the tanning salon, the tanning booth. Yeah. Like, man, those guys are just zapping their skin. You know, and not everyone, of course, but these extreme cases. You know, going through the steroids and the tanners, and then taking the physical punishment and falling down so many times. Right. Um, and yeah, he, he really uh, played it up in a subtle way. You know, it was very believable. Yep. But then, you know, the the director would have scenes in there like the autograph signing where, you know, there would be about a half dozen, uh, uh, you know, older pros and some of them had like 
wheelchairs or like yeah. you know, I think one of them had like a pee bag. I don't. I'm sorry. There's probably a better word for that, but <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know what I mean. Like yeah. had some sort of like uh, device to to you know help control their bodily functions. Yeah, um, just people that were physically messed up from yeah. wrestling. And it's it's just it's almost hard to watch too because you're like oh I love all of these characters all these wrestlers and you see that they're just real people it like it really humanizes humanizes yeah. them yeah it, it really does and, and it also um, you know with uh, his love interest uh, being a, um, a dancer yeah you know um, kind of humanizes both of those um, professions in a way right um, and what was her name Cassidy was that her Cassidy, name Cassidy yeah yeah, I thought that was. Her, I think her real name was Pam. I think her dancer name was Cassidy. That's what it was. Yeah, because they went through both of us. So, um, you know, at first I thought maybe that was a little bit of a cliche. Yeah. Pairing, mm-hmm. but then, but then I got to thinking that both of those um, professions kind of, you know, walk that fine line between um, exhibitionism and exploitation. Right. So I thought that was pretty interesting, and then they both kind of have this public persona, but then like a hidden life behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't make that comparison. That's that's actually pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the more the more interesting parts of the story to me. Or you know, it was just one thing that I saw. I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I. I mean. This I was just sort of depressed yeah, after watching it. Say that about that movie, yeah. What made you depressed about it? Just like I don't know. I I always like when things work out, and I right. feel like I liked the ending. I did like the ending, um, but it was just so sad because yeah, I, I mean it's just like. It, I guess what it's saying, just because like you see him, he's fighting the Ayatollah and he's about to go up and do the Ram Jam, and I, I presume probably have a heart attack after that. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a high percentage that he, you know, has a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> probably dies or like, you know, ends up on major, major horrible life for the rest yeah. of his life or whatever. Probably doesn't wrestle uh, for a while after that. But but he gets that last uh, that last experience of walking into the arena and like giving high fives to the people heading up into the ring and you know he gets to die doing what he loves or whatever. I know. Or, you know. And, yeah, and I think that's just what's so heartbreaking about it is because it's just like this is it's sad because you know he's not going to end up well because you know he has a heart condition. You've seen him have a heart attack in the movie already. Right. And then you see him as he's like struggling, you see him look up to the to the back to try to see uh, Pam um, and she's not there. And it's just, right. oh, it's just heartbreaking. Because it's like and that's... He had already just totally messed everything up with his daughter which was actually kind of going okay. Right, yeah, and that scene too is just like hard because it's like you just see everybody in this dude's life just turn him away. Right, except for the fans and except for the guys in the locker room, right? Right. 
And so I feel like he's this kind of character, and I feel like a lot of professional wrestlers are this type of person who have this like really unique um, talent or this little niche in life, you know, and that they that it's a real thing to like connect with people as a performer, but that the way that that industry is set up, it's just so exploitative. Mm-hmm. They just wear people into the ground, and the uh, amount of money that people are given compared to the amount of money that the show brings in is just so imbalanced. Yeah. Um, that, you know, these people are really good at, at, at professional wrestling, but they, um, but it's just not a stable career. It's not a stable industry. It's, it's very exploitative. So. Right, and you see I that... Feel like, I feel like rather than being depressed that he fucked up his life, it's just more depressed that, like, he had... That, to be in that situation. Yeah, that they sort of... That he had to act that way in order to, to get ahead. Yeah, like, what if you had a job and you're like, hey, you're pretty fucked up on drugs. Uh, <laughs> you know, why, why don't you take this pamphlet and go uh, and try to get into um, rehab or, or, you know, get into recovery and... Right. You know, we'll pay for it because that's the law in this state, you know? But yeah. Yeah, in, you know... And you really see it, too, after he, like, has his heart attack the first time when he's in the locker room. Yeah. Um, he, like, wakes up in the hospital, and then they, as they, like, give him all of his, uh, after the doctor tells him he can't wrestle anymore, um, they give him all his belongings, and you see the the envelope, and it's like, uh, Ram, you really earned this tonight, and it's like 300 bucks. Yeah, and in the USA, like, and, you know, no insurance agency is going to freaking cover professional wrestlers. No fucking chance. <laughs> that's like peanuts, you know, that's going to pay for like, you know, his diapers or whatever while he's in there. It's, it's just ridiculous. Right, and it's and you see him yeah. in the hospital and you're just like, oh, that's cool, that's not even going to cover the bill from having the heart attack. Yep. Yeah, it's so, just, it, it's just, it's sad, you know, it's like, I mean, just from, like, a, a fan's perspective, when you see the realities of it, or the, not necessarily the realities, but, like, the suggested realities of it. It's, it's like the extreme, uh, it, it's one of the, it's one of the possible outcomes. Like, if you're in a two-zero in a venture book and you're reading it, and then, like, you're ten pages into it, and like, oh, you're dead. You know, it's like, right. it, it's not going to happen to everybody who gets into wrestling. It might not even happen to most people, but, like, the potential's there. Definitely, yeah. Uh, um, and it just makes you think about all these, all the all the guys that have been wrestling for, like, 40, 50 years that are still doing it, that are, like, yep. just destroying their bodies. And yep. it's, it's either because they, they still have to, to, like, pay the bills, or because they love it and they can't let it go, but... Yeah, and it's, it, it can be, like... In, in my experience, you know, which is not as much as, as you know, most people, but um, most people just love it. Yeah. I, I really think that, that, you know, like, all these, you know, and this year has been this big 10th year anniversary celebration, so we've done six events in, like, local, um, like, performance halls and, and arenas, and so we've had, we had one WWE Hall of Famer come in, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, 
Tatsumi Fujinami. Um, he came in and he's and he's just like after the match he just walked around, shook everybody's hand, people ran up to him, like yeah. I just grabbed my two year old child and was like, Here, shake his hand like <laughs> it's just this reaction, like this guy's just magnetic. Yeah. And he's way over the hill. And the other two guys were like the son and grandson of Ricky Dozon, who was like the very first uh, Japanese major pro wrestler. And they're just like carrying on his his family tradition, you know. Wow. And um, they seem they seem maybe like they were just kind of there, you know, because they kind of had to be or whatever. Right. But like other than most of the guys, most of the older um, older wrestlers I've worked with really just seem to be into it still. Yeah, and I feel like it would almost be I don't know for sure, but it seems like to me that it would be almost better to work with the the older guys, the more experienced guys, than trying to work with someone who maybe doesn't have that experience. Yeah, yeah, you, you learn a lot from working with um, older, more experienced, better people, you know. And so, like in martial arts, they say the most dangerous person to fight is a white belt, because they're going to do some crazy shit that they right. don't know what they're doing, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, and, and a lot of wrestling is learning from the people who are have been doing it for a while and um, I was talking to this one guy from France who wrestled in Tokyo and he um, he was just saying how the more the, the way he really learns just by getting in the ring and doing it and traveling and working with more people right. and um, you know if, if you add up all the travel time and all the um, the money you get the money you don't get it's and you know your health and um, medical costs—it's never going to add up. So, so you know, it's not exactly a, a, a business you get into to to you know get rich or whatever, or you know, just only for the money. There's way more profitable businesses to get into. Yeah, it seems like it's something that you really have to have a passion for it. Yeah, unless you're like some seven-foot physical specimen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Like, if you're, if you're just like, hey, here I am, I'm under the giant, then it's like, okay. And they're like, yeah, okay, we got a place for you. But then nobody, you know, can realistically expect that. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone's got some strengths and weaknesses. There's so many different body types and, and athletic styles and uh, active styles and personas. There's really a place for anybody, but you just really have to be into it or else you just quit. Right, I feel like that's where the uh, the art really shows itself in wrestling, because I feel like wrestling is an art form. Me too. Um, and I just because I'm in a I'm in a couple bands, like in, independent bands and mm -hmm. DIY, and I, I just Weird. noticed it seems like so many um, parallels between the independent music industry, if you want to call it that, the DIY scene. Yeah. And Absolutely. the independent wrestling industry, there's, it's, it's do it yourself. You make your own name, and you do it because you love it. You don't do it for the money. Well, I remember uh, back in, in my uh, my days of you know really being into Black Flag, reading uh, Henry Rollins getting the Van book about yeah. just traveling from city to city endlessly, and 
putting your whole energy into it, whether you're performing in front of one person or hundreds. And, right. Um, it's a very similar mentality. Yeah. Um, my buddy in Portland, Maine, is producing shows, and, and I used to be in a lot of bands and stuff, too. And he, he's touring around the East Coast, and I was saying, yeah, you know, I, I still kind of wish I had gone on a tour with the band, but this wrestling thing's pretty cool. And he just said, man, this is the same thing. Yeah. So I think it's really similar. Yeah. I, um, I've been noticing it for quite a while, and I feel like I might write something like, I don't know, an essay or not a book, because I can't write a book. I'm not that ambitious, but <laughs> something that's like um, drawing those comparisons and sort of outlining them, because I feel like, and it, it, it's probably for any, any art form, um, it's probably the same way. Like, making independent movies is probably the same. There's definitely parallels and crossovers. Yeah, and even even like um, it's music in general. You know, like um, I think DIY and indie wrestling are very similar. But like, there's this big metal, heavy metal festival they do in Tokyo every year called Loud Park, and they bring in uh, musicians from pretty much all eras of heavy metal. Oh. And this year, one of the bands was uh, freaking Winger. You remember Winger? Yeah. That is that. Yeah. Uh, she's only seventeen. That song. That is. She's only seventeen. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I was reading about them, and they were just complaining about how Beavis and Butthead ruined their career, and then um, they really wanted to be something like Kiss Meets X, and then uh, <laughs> now now they're like going on a tour that's all about the music, and then my friend went and saw me, he's like. I'm kind of glad that Beavis and Butt had ruined them because they sing a song about like dating a 17 year old. It was really funny. I've never heard the song. Yeah, for real though. So, so, kind of like the wrestler who's just hanging on and you know wishing they could have been bigger than they were or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Um getting back to the movie. Well, what's your take as a musician on the whole, like, 80s versus 90s music thing in The Wrestler? Because there's that whole, like, Cobain versus Crew thing in the bar when he's on the date with uh, Pam. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a big, a big thing in the movie. Yeah, I... Yeah. So I remember, like, the, there were going off on all these 80s bands and like singing some rap lyrics about uh, goes around coming around that song um, that's right yeah and and then he's like and then this Cobain pussy had to come around yeah, and ruin everything and then it's that whole um, you know idea that the 80s was just about having fun and then the 90s was like too serious PC culture blah 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 like I thought that was that was an interesting uh, interesting little bit. Yeah, because that whole idea sort of parallels his his situation. Yeah, like um, like he was doing really well when when you know all the glam rock bands and um, hair metal, I guess I should say hair metal bands are really yeah. big. And then was you know was the alternative music you know, what started the whole Degeneration X thing, because, I, I, I mean, I guess Randy the Ram could have kind of been in DX. Yeah. Like, why why, why couldn't you have continued in that era, I wonder? Yeah, that's a good question. 
but what's your what's your take on hair metal in general? Like there was a bunch of that. You know, it's it's tough because part of me really loves it, and then part of me is afraid of people knowing that I really love it. Yeah, kind of like pro wrestling, right? Yeah, sort of. It's sort of a guilty pleasure. Um, I'm generally like not. I mean, I don't seek hair metal out, but I definitely have right. my moments where I'm like, I haven't listened to Round and Round in like a year. Right. <laughs> I'm going to pop that song on. Um, I, I had a phase, though. I was a, very much a fan of Dokken and... Uh, Dokken, yeah. And, yeah, all those hair metal bands. The Dream Warriors, yeah, they were on the Freddy Krueger soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Breaking the Chains. That was the, the Dream Warriors. No, no, Dream Warriors. Yep. Yep. Dream Warriors. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought that, like, um, I thought that whole, that, that was interesting that they used the music there. Yeah, I, I dug like, it. You know, yeah, I thought it was cool. Um, and it's almost like every generation hates the next generation. And then yeah. when they get older, like, oh, my life sucks. Yeah, that's because my kids' music sucks, whatever. You know? Yeah. But, um, what was what was the Rams entrance song? Did he have one? Sweet Child of Mine. That? That's right, Sweet Child of Mine. So, yeah, yeah, I think entrance music is really important to a professional wrestler. I think so too. When I was like when I was a kid and I was into wrestling, me and my friends had like a, I guess you could call it a trampoline league. <laughs> yeah. Where we basically we just wrestled each other um, on trampolines and. The biggest part of it, I feel like, for us, was doing our entrances. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. When I first started wrestling, I got my friends to give me permission to use one of their band songs. It was called Gordor's Key, which was, um, I don't know if you catch that reference right away, but it was um, from the Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. yeah it's like a metal song based on that. But then... Uh, promoter guy was like, no, you gotta come out the board in the USA, this is gonna be great. Oh, man. And, like, I hate that song, and I hate Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, like, I don't I'm with you. Bruce Springsteen, that's just not my thing. Yeah, I'm you same. But, eventually, I, 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 I was like, okay, I'll give it a try, because he's a cool guy, and, and, like, I was pretty sure it would go over, so now I come out with that. Oh. People get super pumped up. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, so it's like, yeah, it's okay. But, um, but yeah, the music is key to, to getting those, those matches going. I bet. I bet it definitely, like, if you have a song that's, like, your song, and, and once people hear it, once the drop hits, like, and they and they react to it, I bet that's a great feeling. Yeah. Like, people walk up to me and call me USA after the show. That's awesome. They're like, oh, hey, They're like, oh, hey USA, that was pretty cool. You know, it's funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah. how uh, how accurate would you say? I mean, obviously, you're wrestling over in Japan. Things are a little bit different. Yeah. But how accurate would you say that they got it in this movie? I mean, it seems it seems very very accurate. It does, yeah. Um, now the people that I've, I've read, like I guess Jim Cornette, said that he didn't think it was that accurate, and, and maybe Bret Hart was like, "Oh, hey, well, that didn't happen to me." I don't think but Jim don't Cornette think likes anything. <laughs> Right, yeah, well, there's that, too, but um, I don't think there's a way you could make one composite wrestler to tell the whole story of professional wrestling. Yeah. 
but I certainly think that this story was plausible. Yeah, I feel like this story is actually probably pretty common, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly it's certainly realistic, I think. Yeah. And um, it, you know, I, I I've never really seen a hardcore match that's that crazy that I know there's people that do put staples into each other. Yeah, I did notice that. I thought that that uh that hardcore match was pretty pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, like. I don't know, some people really get into stuff. Like, when we have women's matches, like, we just beat the shit out of each other. They just, like, kick each other in the face and punch each other really hard. And people, like, get into it. Yeah. But it's, like, it's not, like, as artistic. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, uh, more like watching people beat the shit out of each yeah. other. Yeah, it's, know. like, it's sort of that same, I call it the ECW effect. There it is, yeah. In which, like, you're watching something, and after a while, you're like, wow, this is just a little bit too much for me. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of how I felt about that scene, too. You can only see Terry Funk grind barbed wire over yeah. Cactus Jack's head so many times before you're like, this is pretty, this is pretty bad. I'd, I'd rather hear about the cheese grater than watch the cheese yeah, grater. Yeah, right. Like, that's just me, maybe. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The other scene in that movie I really liked was, was when he was working at the deli. Yeah, I loved that scene. And I loved how uh, Arnofsky put the um, the sound of the crowd, like, before he walked out into the deli. Yeah. Like, he was kind of breathing heavily, and then it, it, it kind of... Like, I felt that that showed how he was almost more nervous going out there to the deli than he was going out in the ring. Right, like, doing a real job or not a real job but like doing a everyday sort of task yeah. like that you know like there's nothing glorious about being a deli worker no offense to all the deli workers out there you're doing right. God's work but there's nothing like super glorifying about it and especially like I feel like for him being so used to that it it's sort of an interesting thing to think wow when he has to go and do like just a normal everyday job he gets nervous for it. Yeah. I thought that was a good touch, for sure. Yeah, like when you have to interact with people one-on-one -on -one instead of like a hundred or a thousand at a time, it's like... Right, you know, and like... What makes one person nervous doesn't make the other person nervous. Yeah, and he really drives home the... Uh, just because I feel like they're trying to make that... that scene uh, seem like the most mundane, shitty job right. you could have with the lady that's just yeah, like, a little like, more, a little less. Right, just right. And, and he tries to turn it into an entertainment thing. You know, he tries to really, like, uh, interact with the people who come in and kind of, you know, it, he, he certainly says some inappropriate things. Yeah. But, like, find a level of people to relate to people, and then at one point he just can't take it anymore. Yeah, and I love it. I, I always love a good quitting the job and storming out scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's satisfying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also uh, noticed that his uh, his boss at the grocery store is, I don't know if you ever watched Star Trek, but he's the doctor from Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah. But, like, they have the is hologram the doctor like in Voyager. Hologram doctor, right? Oh, that was him? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, because I definitely have seen the 
Yeah, that's what I recognized him from, just because the Doctor was one of my favorite characters on that show. So. Well, damn, now I'm going to watch this movie again. Yeah, I think I am too. I it was it was hard. I had a long day yesterday, so I I came down and like as soon as I got home because I went I took a trip down to see my brother and as soon as I got home I I like went down here and and set up all my recording stuff and then went to watch the movie and I think like an hour and fifteen into it I was just like starting to doze off and I'm like shit well I need to be paying attention so I like stopped the movie and I was like I'll just finish it this morning so I woke up at like. 4.45 here and uh, watch the last half hour of it. Yeah, I, I do that sometimes. You gotta kind of watch the movie in waves. Yeah, well, I'm, and especially if I'm, like, gonna be talking about it, I need to like, actually be paying attention. Like I said, normally yeah. I, I have when, when we did No Holds Barred, when I did that episode with Biggs, I had like five pages of notes. And I think right. with this one, I wrote down two notes, and it's mainly because well, mainly because a lot of my notes are based off of the wrestlers in the movies, but I kind of just wanted to watch this one and like yeah. just sort of like talk it out with you, just because it seems like you're close to that world, at least closer to that world than I am. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's something. Yeah, and it, it's a good movie. You know, it's it's, it's certainly not a B movie. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like bigger than the sum of its parts. It doesn't need as much deconstruction as right. like some of those other ones. Yeah, and I feel um, like the next time we do one of these, if you are down to do another one, I oh yeah. I think we should do uh, one of those B movies because it does offer a lot to to make fun of at least or to poke fun oh at. Oh yeah, and, and I know that Hell Comes to Frogtown is on YouTube. So is it sweet? It's entirely, yeah. So if you if you watch that one and want to talk about that sometime. Yeah, I'd absolutely. Be down. Well, or I'd be down to just like pick a random movie. Yeah, that too. Right? It's, super. Just yeah. yeah, keep it in mind. And if you if you see like, oh, Randy Orton was in Twelve Rounds too. That sounds like a fun one to talk about. Like, if you right. if you like find a movie like that, then definitely just hit me up, and I'll be like, yeah, definitely, let's do it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. And, and yeah, I was like a film major and stuff. So this. Yeah, oh, you were. Yeah, yeah, so, like, movies oh, and wrestling are, are major parts of my life, so I, I want to support you. This Very is such true. a cool blog, or, um, not, not blog, what the hell is this, podcast. Uh, podcast, yeah. Yeah, um, that's cool. I went to film school also, so. Where'd you go? Uh, MSU, here in Bozeman. Oh, nice, nice, yeah, I, I went to Evergreen State College in Olympia. So. Oh, sweet. In Olympia? Yeah. Yep. I was just there this last summer on tour with my band. Cool. It seemed like a cool time. It's yeah, especially for uh, music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we played at the uh, uh, what was it called? Lavoyer, I think. Yeah, um, I think last time I was there was about um, three years ago, and like one of my band's flyers was still like plastered on the wall somewhere there. Oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sweet. It's really. Uh, it's a really cool place to play. It's like anybody can play there. Yeah, it. it yeah, it, I'm pretty sure because that was the day we we got there at like I want to say noon, and the show didn't start till like six. Right. So we like, and we didn't want to lose our parking spot because we found a parking spot right in front of the the bar, and yeah. I think we just hung out there for like six hours and just ate and drank and. 
enjoyed Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Olympia is it's an awesome little town. Right on. Um, well, what, what's your band's name? Uh, we're uh, we're called Cheria. Cheria. So, yeah, it's like chair and area. If you squish those two words together. Yeah, we're on Facebook. We have a couple things up on Bandcamp. Nice, I'll have a listen. Yeah, definitely. So, normally we rate the uh, wrestler's performance, but I'm going to just have you rate uh, Mickey Rourke's performance on like a scale of 1 to 10. Okay, I'm going to give him a 9, because, and this is just being picky, because of course he was awesome, but um, I thought his mic work was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I know, yeah, he's dying, and he's, like, giving some heartfelt speech, but I don't think he was as wooden as he could have been or as charismatic as he could have been. Absolutely. Because there's, like, there's no middle ground with wrestlers. Either they're really good at, at reaching a crowd or they're just, like, I am out here saying my lines, you know? Yeah. So I felt like he was kind of too authentic in a, in a, in a, in a way that just wasn't very wrestling to me, but... Right. I I would agree with that. Like, especially for someone who's had the the apparent success that he's had in the past, you yeah. would think that his mic skills would be at a different level than what they were. I guess. Right. Like, unless, like, I mean, even even Bret Hart is like way worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the only person I can think of to compare him to is Bret Hart, but. But he was just like a, it was like he was a teacher giving a goodbye speech to a school he's worked at for 20 years yeah. or something. I just didn't buy it. But on that, yeah, he was awesome. Everything was really good. Yeah, I think I'd agree. I'd, I'd give him like a nine, eight or a nine. He was, I think he definitely did his homework. I think he um, had the mannerisms really down, and I think... Uh, the way he talked and the way he delivered his lines, like didn't move his mouth very much, and right. and yeah, I I I think he had the look for sure. Like he definitely adapted, and they they made him look like a pro wrestler for sure. I heard you put on thirty pounds of muscle for the movie. That is fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think I read that in like an interview with Nick Foley about the. Uh huh. Like, Nick really liked the movie, and I think somewhere in there, they said he put on, like, an insane amount, uh, an insane amount of weight for it. I didn't realize. So, that, that's pretty wild. Yeah, the method acting, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's, like, one of those actors where, like, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything I didn't like him in. Right. But yeah. he's just always sort of flown below my radar, I guess. Exactly, yeah, and he just kind of seems like a sleazy dude or whatever. Right? Yeah, cool. like he's yeah, kind of like, okay, does. You're right. Yeah, so he's, just, he's, he's never been like one of those celebrities I'd ever aspire to be like, but right. I think I agree that I've never seen a movie of his and been like, oh, wow, he really sucked in that, or yeah, that right. movie really sucked. Usually I'm like, oh, wow, he was actually pretty good in that, but, yeah, you know, yeah. And this one is great. Yeah, and I I thought all the other actors did did a good job too, but I was I was really impressed with uh, with Mickey Rourke. Yeah, it was it was really like his vehicle, right? I think so. Yeah, and 
I guess Marissa Tomei was the other big actor in it. She was really good too. She was good too, yeah. It was. She was way different from. Whenever I think Marissa Tomei, I think my cousin Vinny. Yeah. And her too. character in that. So I mean, it, it's nice to see her, see her play some someone else. Yeah, with a little bit of, of uh, nuance to the character and not just yeah, like it. more dimension. Yeah. So I thought she was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so how would you what 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 rating would you give the movie on a scale of one to ten? Oh, it's a ten out of ten. Yeah. It's uh, I just really love the story. Um, I connected with like you know I felt like. He loved his daughter and he loved wrestling, but he just happened to be wired to give his all at wrestling, and and he just couldn't help but but make all these choices that ruined everything else in his life. So right. I felt like you know there was a real tragedy there. I didn't feel like he was just like this asshole who was ignoring his daughter. Yeah, you know I felt like he really wanted to make that connection, but he just couldn't. And, and I felt like the connection with the fans was real, too. Like, I, I felt that they really did a good job showing that, you know? Yeah. So I don't think it was sad that he was with his fans, you know, for so much of his life, but um, it's just it's just tragic that it cost him his family and that it couldn't afford for him a better life. Right. So I do see it as a tragedy, but, I, but yeah, I'd give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah. That's I mean, and I feel like that's that's all that's all perspective too. Like it's definitely it's got to be different for you watching it because you have children of your own. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. So, and I mean, I have a, I have a baby on the way, but I'm not a dad just yet. Like I haven't experienced it yet. So I'm sure once once my child's born, I'll be seeing things a lot differently. That's wait, wait till the wait till the first like uh, mass school shooting in the U.S. happens after you like, oh, actually God. have a kid. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something I didn't yeah. even think about. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it it just kind of changes things a little bit. Yeah. But, but everything else is good. It's oh yeah. Awesome being a dad. I'm yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> cool man. Gotta rate the movie. Um, I would give it a ten out of ten too. I um. Like I said, I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Aronofsky. I've liked just about every movie he's made. Um, and, like, I've always sort of been interested in his work just because, like, when I was younger and, like, reading about movies and stuff, like, I would have my directors and the ones that I was like, this is, these are my directors, these are the ones that are the best. And I feel like he definitely fell into that that category for at least a couple of his films because I remember yeah. I think Requiem for a Dream was the first one I saw of his because I remember reading about it online about how there was a an alternate version of it and I thought that was just crazy because they couldn't put something in the theatrical version okay so he did that I, I thought this was the first movie I'd seen of his he did uh, Requiem for a Dream he did a movie called Pie yeah, which was before Requiem, right? Yeah, it was like one of his black first movies. It was all black and white. It's a it's a trip of a movie. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, he did Black Swan. Oh yeah, that's the one I want to see. And then uh, a movie called The Fountain, which I haven't seen yet. And then he just did that movie. Um, it just came out called Mother, I think. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen that either. That has a famous actress in it, right? 
Yeah, I can't remember who though. It's supposed to be like kind of disturbing. Yeah, it's like a. I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, yeah it's it's supposed to be sort of like a horror type thriller, but. Okay, this guy's a major director. Yeah, he's got like a wide range. I feel like of um, at least like of just like storytelling. Like the stories he tells are, you go from like drug addicts and requiem for a dream to uh, this dude, this crazy like mathematician in pi that's trying to find the meaning of the world through the number pi. Wow. It's it's yeah, that movie's really cool. You should check it out. <laughs> yeah, I remember the high point was uh, when it was in the theaters. I, I really should watch it. Yeah, it's it's sort of a trip. And then uh, you go to like Black Swan. It, he's very immersive. He seems to immerse himself in the worlds of these people. So, yeah, Mickey Rourke got, gave an acceptance speech. He won some acting award for The Wrestler. Yeah. And he, he really talked up Aronofsky and talked about him being one of the generation's late directors, like a Coppola or something like that. So, yeah, he's definitely well on his way with what he's yeah. what he's showing so far. But, yeah, he seems to be a guy, a guy that's, like, very interested in, in subcultures and and... I feel like he really just throws himself into the world for a while while he's making these movies, and I think that's definitely an important trait to have as an actor that's or a director. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Because you can't really direct without knowing how to act, I feel like, so... Right. Yeah, and then, and then knowing your subject matter, it's, it's almost like a method acting kind of thing. Right, yeah. Just really getting to know it and respect it. Yeah, and I feel like or there understand were... understand it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there were definitely, like, points in the movie where I feel like there were like certain cliches but I feel like they wouldn't be there if they weren't true you know right so, yeah and, and like they kind of need to be addressed right yeah but I I, I give it a 10 out of 10 I give Aronofsky a, a 10 out of 10 I think he's a good director yeah yeah no kidding and then it was way different than um you know Requiem for a Dream. I know there's several years between those two movies, but that movie was really into like cutaway scenes, and, and you know, the only part I can remember in the wrestler that reminds me of that was that uh, fan uh, audience sound before he went into the deli counter. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of that type of stuff in, in Requiem with like you know the sound effects of the drugs and then like quick cuts of the. Yeah, exactly. Like the quick shots of like, like yeah. the chemicals and then like the pupils dilating and. Yeah, he's he's really good at pacing. Yeah, because because this this doesn't have any of that, which is good because it's a whole different subject matter. Right. Yeah. And kind of into that area to something that's kind of cool. Yeah. And I sort of like that he um is is sort of always reinventing his style. He's not doing like when you watch like and I, don't get me wrong, I love Quentin Tarantino, but when you right. watch his movies you can tell that he made those movies, you know, it's like, he has a certain style about him, and a certain way and of, yeah. of directing actors, and a certain rhythm that he has with his editing, and you can just tell it's, it's got Quentin yeah. Tarantino all over it. He but. has, like, certain shortcuts, and, like, right. he's got a certain comedy about him, it's, you know, it's, you know, uh, and, and, and some of, like, the, 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 like, racial slurs that he uses, like, you can just totally tell it's a character, you know, movie. Right. And that's why I, I feel like it's easy for a lot of directors and a lot of actors, honestly, to get stuck into their style, which 
I mean, yeah. if, if it works for you, great. Go for it. Like I said, I love Tarantino, and he's never made a movie that I haven't liked, but yeah. I think it's really impressive when a director can step outside of that and reinvent himself with each movie. Yeah, totally. I totally, I totally hear that. Right on. Well, I think oh, we yeah. are... We are good. We're at an hour twenty-two, so. Perfect. Um, I really appreciate it, man. It was it's good to talk yeah. to you, um, and get your perspective yeah. on on things. Cool. Well, um, definitely in the future, let's do another one about something a little bit campier with better uh, one-liners. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I'm yeah. I'm very down. I I like this episode because it's. I don't think I'm gonna have to pull any uh, lines from the movie, which is one of the hardest parts about doing these. <laughs> Oh man, but the stuff you pulled from the Steven Seagal and Steve Austin were hilarious. Yeah. I, yeah. I, think, I think without watching the movie, they actually sounded like worse actors than I imagined. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I encourage you to, if you have an hour and a half that you don't really care what you do with it, just watch that movie. <laughs> I might actually watch it because I do love B movies. Yeah, absolutely. If you do, like. It's it, it's a good companion piece to the podcast for sure. And there's, there's a really good Steven Seagal in Japan movie with the Yakuza where he like speaks Japanese. The, the, I'll email you the, the name of the movie. Like it was way more entertaining than it should have been. Oh sweet! But I totally recommend it. <laughs> yeah, me and the uh, the guy that we did that. Uh, me and the guy that we did that episode with the Maximum Conviction one. Yep. We were we were talking about doing another podcast where we only watch Steven Seagal movies and talk about him, but I feel like that's going to be so much work. Yeah, he died He died in one movie called Executive Decision with, like, Kurt Russell. Really? Yeah, because I remember you guys mentioned that, how, which is totally true that he never, like, shows the weakness, but... So this is a movie where, like, there's a bunch of big-name act, action stars, and they have to, like, board a plane that's been hijacked by terrorists. And in the preview, they're like, you're never going to make it. And he's like, you will. And then they, like, close the airlock or whatever in the uh, preview. And then you go and watch a movie, and he actually fucking dies in that Oh, my God. But they actually showed it in the preview. So it's called Executive Decision. Okay. Like, you wait the whole movie for him to come back, and he never does. It's just, I don't even think it was that great of a movie, but it's just so weird that Seagal actually dies in it. That is weird. I usually... I feel like it'd be in his contract when he signs up to do a movie that he can't die. Exactly, yeah. So, right once at least, yeah. Yeah, if we ever, we're going to call it Cinema Gall if we do decide to do it. Oh, dude, that's too perfect, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that'll be the first one we do if uh, if we do that. Awesome, man. Well, cool, it's about midnight here, so I'm going to take off and call it a day. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate it. It was good talking no, to you. No. Alright, right, there it is, the season finale, talking about the wrestler with a professional wrestler. Um, sorry about the quality, we had to do a phone interview, that was my first like attempt at doing a phone interview, and I feel like most of it was intelligible at, at the least, but uh, yeah, I'm going to keep working on that because I definitely want to talk to Dave again, and uh, obviously the distance... Um, geography wise makes it hard to do that in person so um, I want to thank Dave for coming on the show uh, I want to thank Prince for doing the intro music for uh, season one 
I really appreciate that, and I want to continue to use local artists on the show, so next season there'll be somebody new. Um, I want to thank the Not Safer Network, I want to thank Biggs, I want to thank all the podcasts on the Not Safer Network, and I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break, maybe it'll be a month, maybe it'll be two months, I don't know. We'll figure it out as I figure out my recording setup, but uh, I'll be back for sure, and uh, hopefully with many more episodes this time and make it some longer seasons and everything but all right i'm gonna stop talking now thanks for listening i'll see you guys in a little bit okay bye movies with restless green lantern's light ASL Adventures? In a Dimensional Exchange Association? Is this yours? No, your I- Your mother said she found them on your phone. I don't know, a guy must, must have- Must have what? Look, Dad, they're not mine. Alien Movie Project? We Had a Good Life? Montucky Skies? Real Roulette? Where'd you get it? Dad- Answer me. Who taught you how to listen to this stuff? You alright? I learned it by watching you! Parents that use podcasts have children that use podcasts. Brought to you by the partnership of the Not Safer Network.